Hey, I'm Kristen. And I'm Mike. And this is The The Business Family. Family. All right, guys. Today, we are meeting with Groho Group Real Estate Company um, with the Grohoviacs. They're actually a brother and sister team. So I'm very, very excited about this because it's family. We're a family business. You guys are literally doing a family business. So exciting. So take us back to the beginning, all the way back to your grandparents, I believe. Yeah. To where this all started. So, um, I mean, Ed, do you want to take it away? I feel like you're good at origin stories. It's like his thing. (laughs) Sure, sure. And just to note, I mean, it's literally we're sitting in front of this beautiful mural of their father, late father and grandmother. Yeah. And really, they are the ones who kind of spearheaded this yeah. whole idea. And if idea. you're just listening, go ahead onto our Instagram and, and go check it out. Just take yeah. a look. Just yeah. look where we're sitting. It's, it's really, amazing. really cool. Yeah, I'd say it probably goes back to our grandmother, Leona, who's behind us, who was born and raised in Bucktown and then kind of changed over to our mom, who is here acting as a babysitter for <laughs> the crowd back home that can't see. Um, so yeah, our family's been in Chicago the Bucktown neighborhood specifically for about a hundred years. And I think it really pulls back to the Polish presence that Chicago has always Mm -hmm. felt. Um, Mm -hmm. And like our one grandmother grew up in Wicker Park. Our other grandma grew up in Bucktown and we've never left. Uh, My mom lives and has lived her whole life on Palmer. I have lived my whole life on Palmer besides my four years in college. Megan went to DePaul, has been here forever. So it's just, this is what we know. This is who we are. This is what we've been about our whole lives. And uh, our grandfather and grandmother bought our two flat that Megan and I live in now at 2340 West Palmer, I think in the early to mid 1960s when he came home from World War II and utilized the GI Bill to right. purchase It was the just like a lot harder lot. for people to purchase. So it took them a lot longer sure. you know, to save the kind of money that, because it really like home ownership, I think people think of it as like, oh, it's so easy because you can like go online and do it. But like they lived on the block, I mean, literally from the 40s, like the late 40s into the 50s mm-hmm. and 60s. And they kind of had to stack their coins where like, I think my grandmother, when she bought the house, like she bought it. But what I mean, she was always like taking care of family. So it's like my like the whole family lived in it. Like the right. amount of people that lived in the house, it was like probably like between 10 and 12 between the two floors. Wow. And then like as people, you know, moved on with life, my grandmother was kind of like, I want a place for my sister and my sister's kids to stay. So they occupied the first floor, too. So it was just kind of like, you know, like because you didn't want to be displaced. Like that's so much of what totally. happened. Like people got displaced from the city. And I don't right. if they didn't purchase the house, we probably wouldn't be here. Wow. You know? Yeah, for sure. Our dad would always say, like, you're lucky your grandmother bought that house. You don't have enough money to live in that neighborhood. Wow. And I think he was so right, you know, because when we grew up, we were one of, like, the only families really in this neighborhood. Um, And everybody's gone. I'd say my mom's probably, well, definitely is the longest standing person in the neighborhood, but Mm -hmm. most people just, like, sold and and got out. So Um, is this, like, a, a primarily Polish neighborhood? Before. Yeah, it was it was a Polish neighborhood. And even like the name Bucktown comes from like in the late 1800s, like the yards, like there's a lot. The lots are very this lot that you have in Bucktown is very historic Chicago kind of moment where people would raise bucks. So like they actually wow. had 
goats in their yard. So that's why it's oh called Bucktown. So people, no don't, people don't know that. So it was just very that's much very like cool. immigrant community, like up and down Milwaukee avenues, you had your stores, you like your whole life, like the, like the amount of churches that you see in the space, I think is reflective of like, you know, the waves of immigration that you saw, like come through the late uh-huh, you know, 1800s uh-huh. into the early 1900s to like pre-war stuff. So, wow. Yeah. And I remember both my grandmother's, like being on the block and like starting at this end and then walking to that end, but like stopping at every other house and talking to like the old Pani Baskas, which are like the old Polish women. It means boss lady, Pani Baska. Because <laughs> <laughs> a lot of them were, they were like the homeowners, their husbands, you know, either died or weren't around and, and they were like strong Polish women. Yeah. And, but like they'd stop every other and like they'd have conversations like, 20 40 minutes before cell phones and stuff it's like right. when, when people actually talk to each other and i just it kind of grew out of that but then in like the early 80s it became more hispanic i'd say it was definitely a demographic of puerto rican mm-hmm. families that some are still in the area as well and then i think things really started changing over late 90s early 2000s where you know, now it's um, a predominantly upper to middle class white neighborhood, hmm. um, which that's so different than what I remember it as. Yeah. I remember playing basketball at Holstein Park and being the only white kid on the basketball wow. court and never, you know, always being taken care of. Nobody ever really messing with me. But like growing up in a multicultural, multi faceted upbringing where I was the one who didn't look like everybody else. And I I had FOMO big time not being able to speak Spanish. I think that was my motivation (laughs) in high school because they were like, you know, everybody would be like, nana. And I was like, what does that mean? You know, know, like the thing too is I think which is interesting, just like kind of like it's so unique about our story is like our mom was a public school teacher. So like she wanted to live in the city. She, Mm -hmm. you know, taught five minutes from where we live. And our Mm -hmm. dad was a, you know, he worked downtown. He was an immigration lawyer. Like they wanted to be in the city where, you know, it's like uh, people don't like talking about gentrification and like white flight, but that's what happened to a lot of the cities in the 1960s and 70s. So, you know, they just, you know, as the neighborhood changed, it, it wasn't it wasn't that it was like good at points and bad at points. It just was different. You know, as time goes on, things change and things are just are different. Right. Absolutely. So with all of that history, like when did Groho Group become a thought? I think we were like, didn't realize we were working for mom and dad when we were working for mom and dad. Like our parents had a two flat, you know, and we were always involved in the building stuff. Like, you know, we always had tenants and that was like always a part of the lifestyle. And so you own this lot here. Well, yeah. you own these three lots. My mom owns. She yeah. like will sure. make sure she knows. Yeah. My mom owns everything. So um, like so we grew up just for yeah. people to understand. We grew what up in the house next door to this huge empty lot. It's a city lot. It's like looks like a basically like a playground yeah. of empty beautiful grass, and then it's like a traditional quintessential Chicago two flat that Eddie and I live in. And that's the building that my mother grew up in. Okay. So like where our house that we grew up in as kids you know, is not longer, no longer there. My parents built like a three flat in like the late nineties, 99, mm-hmm. early 2000. So that's kind of where we grew up. So we kind of like grew up wedged between this world, yeah. like this compound of like our grandmothers both lived, like our grandmother lived next door, our aunt lived next door. It was like this, everything you needed family wise was like tucked into this little nook. Very cool. Yeah. Yeah. So the two flat and the empty lot were my grandma and my grandfather's that they bought off the GI Bill. And then my parents lived next door 
they tore that down and then they built my father's glory of glories, which is <laughs> his Polish three flat or the Polish dream dream, where you live for free and then your tenants pay your rent and you, you know, you cash out, so to say. And that's kind of come to fruition even more than I ever could imagine after he's passed away in five years. It's so interesting to see that he was such a visionary to build something like this. Mm -hmm. It's kind of the first type of building in the, in the neighborhood that, is now replicated all over by developers who buy a lot and then redevelop it. So I, I'm assuming the three flat is probably one of the only owner occupied properties in all of Bucktown that the owner owns wow. the whole thing. I mean, it's normally split up. So again, just kind of being from here, never leaving. I always was somewhat like why do we live in this city when all of our friends who we Irish danced with or that we went to school they were like in the suburbs a lot of the times Mm -hmm. and then you know I have such an appreciation for it now just coming and being you know raised in the city I think it's a defining characteristic of who we are how we do business how we go about living our lives but like now it's like I really have a ton of respect for my grandmother my father and my mother because it's like no one would have been able to envision it becoming what it is now. Sure. Well, like, and I just they didn't think of it as a business. Like going back to what you're saying about mm-hmm. like what when did you think about Groho? Like they they didn't think about it like that they were going to be you know having tenants in his business. It was just more of like a lifestyle of like mm-hmm. why do we need to live in a single family house? Like let's be a little bit more modest and like there's other things that are important and you know like we always had family living in these buildings. So I think it was more about like providing. Like my grandmother was really like hell bent on having this house but she was like no you know like my sister can live there as long as she needs to live there and it was about creating space for family because not everybody had the same opportunities like not everybody may have gone to school and things like that so I think when we started about Groho Group it was about families and relationships and like how can we leverage things that we know about the city to help support people in the process of like buying a home because it's like one of the biggest things that people encounter in their life like next to like maybe getting married and having kids or like things like that it's very it's a big deal so it's like we wanted to be able to leverage what we knew about just like our experience and like Mm -hmm. having a family like one-stop shop everybody's in the same space (laughs) but like to help other people with that too but yeah when when tenants would move out our mom would be like well our dad would write a laundry list of like this is everything that needs to be done clean the woodwork clean the toilet bowls paint all this stuff so then our mom would be like all right let's go we're doing this so it was always something that I hated doing because I'm like, what am I, what are we doing? And now I'm like, now I, it makes sense, but it would be like, it was such a part of our experience. Like it would be our parents and Megan and I up there and maybe one of the guys from the neighborhood that my dad would come over and be like, Hey, do you want to like pick up some money on the side? Like help us like clean. Um, and then when our dad got sick, well, our, when our grandmother got sick and our dad got sick, Megan and I think just naturally wanted to help more ease the burdens off our mom who was already dealing with being a caretaker to both of them. Mm -hmm. Um, So then we kind of just got more involved in the running of the building, picking up rent, um, turning the apartments over, finding new renters in there, helping pay the taxes, where in 
because they both passed away December 2013. So in probably like February 2014, I started looking at it as an actual profession where I was like, oh, I can get involved. I'm already doing it. Mm -hmm. And I have people that I like went to high school at Quigley with or people that I went to college at Dayton with or Northwestern where I got my master's. And these were people that were like, hey, can you help me find something to to buy? So going for your water. Yeah, she loves that. Um, but yeah, just figuring out like, oh, this is an actual thing. So I got involved in just becoming a realtor and then things really got busy for me and just started looking for other opportunities to expand. And that's where I think the the idea of the Groho group came out of a lifetime of experience and working, but it was inevitably, you know, working together that Megan and I wanted to do to be able to help offer a type of service that that just isn't out there and i think what we offer is just so unique um to not even just like chicago but like to the to the real estate industry so many people like want to sell you a property like we want to sell you like an experience of like working with us mm-hmm. having us educate and inform so you can make the most educated decisions on behalf of yourself and your family mm-hmm. instead of like try to sell you a property really be like how can I help you and I think that's why so many of our clients become like very close friends of ours um, so cool. and like you know last year we had a pancreatic cancer pig roast in our dad's name and honor in this um, like this in the space empty lot. in this empty lot mm-hmm. and you I know? think 25 or 30 of my clients showed up and supported and wow. donated money to the pancreatic cancer awareness fund and, and I mean so so many people have become a part of our family and a lot of our clients are friends who just trust us to know that yeah. like we're going to do right by them instead of, you know, trying to jam something down. Like I tell people, like, I'm not going to tell you how to spend your money, what to buy, what to sell. Like, I'm going to educate you. So when you're ready, you have the tools ready to go because it's not my decision. It's your decision. If I can yeah. just help highlight things that I think you should know about that, I would want to know if I was a consumer like that's right. that's what I think we're there for. Totally, totally. Totally. And I mean, we had a previous conversation and I remember you specifically talking about how you wanted to be what your mom and dad didn't have when they were involved in this. So can you explain a little bit more about that? I think, you know, just like what we meant by that was that I think our parents never, you know, they went to work, they did their jobs, but like they didn't necessarily like understand like that this was profitable. Like, I think they just thought of it as like utility and necessary, but there wasn't a lot of education out there. Like, you know, it felt very transactional. Like when, you know, my grandma passed away, like she had some property in Edgebrook, Saganeshire, which is on the northwest side of the city. And it was like there's just so many things that we just weren't sure about. And we wanted to make sure that people felt like they could ask questions and like be of service to people like you know, myself, like my, my background is as an educator. Like I want people to feel empowered and I want people to feel like, you know what, this is important. Your questions are valid. And how can I like, you know, address them or how can Mm -hmm. I bring you knowledge or, you know, content Mm -hmm. or information so you can make good choices. But like, you know, it just, it felt so like, I think because real estate, you know, it's, you know, it's on commission, you know, it's a commission business, you know, and people think that it's just like a quick kind of like one and done transaction. You want to kind of get to know the person and Mm -hmm. really spend time with them to be like, what do they value? What's important to them? And then you know how to be a better service to them. You're able to offer a better product. And totally. I think when we just had all this stuff happen with family, it was just like, it felt very transactional. Like you don't want someone to feel like 
you know, you're a number or a dollar sign. And I think right. that that's what my mom felt like when she was going through all those kind of things. Yeah. And like for the first time in her life, doing that by herself and like yeah. 40 years, like it's yeah. overwhelming. So you, you're meeting people at a time where it's like if they're having a baby and they're trying to buy a house or like if one of their parents passed away and they have to sell a house, like you want to be there and hold space with that person to make them mm-hmm. feel like their story is a part of what needs to happen, you know, with the transaction too. Like, yes. and just really allowing people just to see you as like someone they can talk to about this stuff. If they're stressed out, they're kind of like, what do I do? You know, you'd be like, right. okay, well let's workshop, let's workshop it. Let's talk about it. What do you, yeah. what's, what's important to you? Like, how can we help you? That's the bottom line. If we're not helping you, then there's no point. You know, right. Yeah, I think right now we could speak to a specific situation of one of our clients had her partner pass away and Mm. that just being a tragic, tragic experience in itself. And then the trauma that is built into that, as well as having to sell a property, dealing with a buyer, dealing with these very things like, you know, the economic and political times that we're living in. It's like, it's so emotionally charged where it's like, we just lend an ear to be like, we are here for you to listen. Cause yeah, she's selling her property, but she's also thinking about her partner that died. She's thinking about uh, a lifetime of decisions and what that has resulted in. Like emotional equity. Like that's something people don't really talk about, but it's like there's lived experiences that are very real to people. And, you know, you have to be able to listen to them and talk through that with them. Yeah. For me, it's like we've only ever lived in this stretch of 75 feet by 100. So it's like it's so ingrained into me of like being in that two flat, being in the three flat, like just always being there every holiday. My grandmother, when she passed away, being taken out of the front, when our father passed away, you know, the, you know, the cops coming in and making sure that he was gone. And then the undertakers coming in and taking his body out. I mean, like, it's so like, I've never known anything else. And I can't even imagine having to like leave this place. So it just, for me, that all just results in being like, wow, like, this is magnified for people just like it would be for me. Yeah. Like, you know, yep. it, it's such a part of people's existences. Like, and I think when people like know me before knowing like, uh, you know, the, the professions that I work in, it's like, he's from Bucktown and he's a Grahoviak. I think that that's what, how people like identify me. So like that part of like being Bucktown as a part of who I am, like it's so ingrained and I could imagine like how upsetting it would be if I had to leave. And a lot of times people don't want to sell, they have to sell, right? you know? So it's like just understanding where people are at, supporting them and just trying to service them. And inevitably, I mean, these people end up, you know, being at our house for holidays or we're there for their children's birthday or Mm -hmm. um, one of my clients, you know, we got his kid into like the best school district in Chicago. It's just like those things mean so much more than the transaction Um, because it's like I'm, you know, for me, it's it's not even about, you know, how much money you make or or what it is. It's like how many lives are you impacting? You know, I'll talk to people about like waking Ned Divine, the movie. It's like I can't wait till I can sit at the back of my own funeral and just watch people People walk in of like people who have I've affected and hopefully hmm. there's people there who I didn't work with you know but it's it's not about selling properties it's about like interacting you know communicating connecting with people changing their lives and letting them change your life instead yeah. of it just being like let me sell you this condo it's like how do I better your life yeah. um, and I think that that's so much more where we're focused 
That's awesome. Ah, that's why I was so excited to talk to you guys. I was like, it's going to be fire. I love it. So and jumping off of that, can you tell us a little bit about your first business? Sure. Because, I mean, we talked again, we talked a little bit before, but I mean, really, you are taking everything that you said you've done before mm-hmm. in another industry. Sure the sports industry. Yeah. So tell us a little bit about that and you know what you learned from that experience and yeah, sure. brought into Grow Home. Yeah, so I think it probably goes back to the time I was like 14 or 15 years old. Actually before that, like Megan and I Irish danced for a number of years. We both acted. Uh, we did commercial work as kids. We did print work. We were always so involved like in entertainment and did commercials, did movies, whatever it is. So, you know, when I was eight years old, like I had an entertainment agent that like helped field jobs for me and then would bring them to my mom and be like, hey, like we have this deal for him to like go on this commercial audition. Um, So just always being around entertainment, you know, I I would be around agents. So at a very early age, I was very curious that like somebody who was my age at eight years old who was doing a movie called Fever Lake, like had an entertainment agent, right. which, you know, everybody thinks of like Ari Gold or Jerry Maguire, you know, where I was like, wow, that's really interesting. So when I was 15 years old is, you know, Irish dancing all the time, playing basketball, I blew my knee out at Northside Prep, which is a day like that I'll never forget. It was Valentine's Day, I think, you know, 2004, which is crazy that it's 15 years ago. Hmm. But at that point, I knew I was never going to play basketball hmm. and that like my Irish dance career was never going to be able to reach the heights that it is because I had a micro fracture surgery when I was 15 years old. So yeah. um, at that point and, and we come like Bucktown, you know, was a Polish neighborhood, which meant like all the basketball players who are really good players, you know, either played for Al McGuire at Marquette or played for Ray Meyer at DePaul or like Coach K, Duke's coach, went to high school with our dad and sat in front of him. So we were always around basketball and athletics. Our mom was a PE teacher. So we were always around sports. And like, you know, I grew up in the late 80s, early 90s in Chicago. The Bulls were everything. So I just, I really loved basketball. And, you know, I just knew I was never going to play. So I started when I was like 16, like, what do I want to do in my life? I think Coach Lentina, you know, uh, Quigley, when I went to high school was like, you're not going to play basketball. What do you want to do? And I, I found sport management, which was this you know, uh, kind of merge of like athletics and business, which I think I've always kind of been the business man at a, at a young age, just making things happen and putting small deals together when I was young. Sure. Um, but just seeing like, oh, like this could be a profession. Um, and I specifically went to a school in Ohio called the University of Dayton because they had sport management. And I studied sport management there. I worked for the basketball team and I had a lot of really great connections from um, teachers putting me in very uncomfortable situations to be like, we want you to grow. Like, I want you to talk to people who are sports agents. If this is something you want, one of them said, Hey, you should go to law school. And he reminded me last night, Dr. Teitelbaum, who I talked to was like for three years, all you did was study for the LSAT. Like I forgot that I was 19 years old studying for the LSAT. Like, and I was enjoying myself. I was out having a good time, but like my friends would be out 
you know, partying. And I'd be like, I'm going to go to Roche library and study for the LSAT. And they're like, are you smoking crack? <laughs> and I was like, no, like this guy told me that you need a law degree. So wow. I, I went to Dayton. I, I studied for law, LSAT. I, I went to law school in hopes of wanting to be a sports agent. And I went to law school and our cousin, uh, Casey Grohoviak was killed in Afghanistan. And my godfather, my dad's best friend, Bill Norridge, who was an attorney as well met my dad in law school john marshall in the loop of chicago like he passed away and, and that at 22 really affected me where i was like wow like i was homesick i wanted to be with my family i felt like i didn't have an opportunity to mourn mm. um you know these two kind of grave you know losses they were they were I've, I've been so blessed to not really lose anybody until i was 22 and then when from the time i was 22 to i'm 31 now like i've had really like 20 or so passings that have been like extremely impactful. So it's wow. like, it's a double-edged sword, right? Like you, you grow up with not that much trauma and then you experience this like serious amount of trauma in your, you know, early twenties when you're trying to figure out like who you want to be, you know, of course, like the biggest one being our father. Um, so, you know, I, I was so miserable. I was 22 years old. I was like, what am I doing here? I'd already spent four years in Dayton, Ohio. And I remember I called my parents up and I was like, I want to leave law school. And they were like, okay, cool. Like we'll pick you up tomorrow. I remember going That's into amazing. law school the next day and my, my classmates were like, wait, like your parents are cool with this. I'm like, oh yeah, my dad's like picking me up. Like he can't wait. Cause my dad was like, why are you going to law school? Like <laughs> it's miserable. And He's like, I did it. He knew. Yeah, he yeah. knew. But I, I needed to like kind of learn by myself, you yeah. know, for myself. So yeah. I came home, moved back into the basement in Megan's old bedroom in the three flat. Um, and, you know, I kind of was dropped into this situation at my house where like our grandmother had Alzheimer's, Grandma Leona, who's behind us and like was really sick. And it was the first time that like somebody who I was super close with was like withering away. And I, I was so like young at the time to be like, oh, wow, like this is a real thing. Um, and I moved into the basement and I started literally just calling agents like I'll shine your shoes. I'll do whatever you want. And, you know, also calling all the guys that I knew from Chicago who played basketball and Dayton who played basketball and um, no one answered. Like no one was wanting me to shine their shoes. And one guy by the name of Charles Little was a good friend of mine who was a basketball player at Dayton was like, hey, call this guy. He's my agent. I don't think he's really happy where he's at. So like that guy and I started talking within two weeks, we had created the idea of Go Empire Group, which is a full service sports agency um, at the time it was based out of Chicago and New York. And now we're based out of Chicago uh, full time after I bought him out in uh, 2013. But we represent basketball players, specifically guys that play in the NBA, guys that play in the NBA development league called the G League, guys that play in Europe, uh, the Middle East, Asia. And it's not like Jerry Maguire that, that a lot of people think <laughs> like where it's like you're cutting million dollar deals and, you know, life's great. Like it's really being an advocate for a very um, unrepresented group of individuals who like the majority of people are trying to take advantage of them. 
Wow. Yeah. So like for me as like a short little white guy being, you know, amongst really tall black guys, like it's that's where I always have felt most comfortable. And I think that that goes back to like being at Holstein Park with like, you know, Puerto Rican Americans and African Americans and really being like the only white kid that that was amongst that crowd. So, you know, and, and I was 22 when I started the company. I was the youngest sports agent ever like in the history of the NBA and FIBA, which is FIFA, but for basketball. And I never thought that I was going to like run my own company when I was that young, but it just, it happens so fast. Like it's like you either do or you don't. Mm -hmm. And I still don't think about it in, in grandiose terms. It was like, I had a job to do. I had to represent these guys at the best of their ability. And for me, it was just, you know, strapping up and just doing what I could do best and trying to do right by them, which, you know, eight and a half years later has grown into a very serious business venture where guys like Reggie Hearn, you know, have played in the NBA. And, um, you know, there's other guys who, you know, just have such amazing things in their future, let alone being great basketball players, but like, you know, being invited to people's weddings and, and baptisms, like again, being involved in people's lives, educating, informing, like in the sports industry, basketball specifically is one of the most cutthroat industries. That's why I think that we've done really well in real estate. Cause it's like, you know, there's a ton of realtors in in the NBA, there's like 500 sports agents that are certified by the NBA. And out of those 500, only three of us, 300 of us actually have represented guys in the NBA. Um, so, hmm. you know, that's when I was like, oh, wow, like we actually have a real thing here and we're good at it and we know we're good at it, but it it's not for everybody. Like it's a certain type of client that needs to vibe with what we're doing, which is like very honest and upfront information where it's like, you might not want to hear this because like you may want to be lied to about how good you are right where i'm like you've been lied to enough like i'm it's not that i don't think you're good enough it's that like you need to know how difficult it is to like get in to be one of the 550 guys that play in the nba like it's a reason why those guys are millionaires it's it's like the the cream of the cop crop like it's the it's the best of the best you know so for me it's like just being honest up front um it has really helped cut through all of the what i look at is just being like bad representation where like people are taking advantage of these guys and that happens constantly in real estate and i think that yeah, that's sure. where he has like you know a good good like application over because like you know we i think a lot of the things that he learned in you know working with basketball players and representation like we moved it over to real estate and understanding like some houses are not built well they look beautiful and then you go inside and you're like you don't want your client to buy this house you don't want them to be there and be in that space and like you know it's like you might lose deals and like that's okay too because it's mm -hmm. better and more important to be ethical hmm. than it is to like do a transaction and do a deal and, you know, you lose some clients, but like the clients that you gain in the relationships that are solidified are the ones that you like really show up and you're like super honest about like what you can do or not do in this situation. And I think probably you learn to know when to quit because so yes. that's like an important thing. Sometimes you have to know when to just walk away because that's not working. You yes. know, I, I think for me, yep. it's like we were raised very morally and ethically centered, definitely by our dad. Our dad was like 
all about doing things the right way. And I found my, I find myself in two industries, which a lot of the times for better or worse are branded as very like unethical places to do business. Hmm. So it's been difficult from time to time to, um, stay on my path of like what I know I want to do, what's the right thing to do, or like you can do what's not the right thing, but get this client. So for me, it's like taking a long-term, like 30 year approach to both businesses to be like, okay, like I'm going to do the right thing. Cause even though it's not going to put money in my pocket right now, like in 40 years from now, these people are going to remember that I did right by them and that I didn't like sell them a bag of goods that, you know, was going to inevitably like put them in a bad situation. So for me, it's like a long-term approach where it's like, it's not about tomorrow. It's about next year. It's about, it's not about like really my clients. It's about their children and like their grandchildren. Like, of course we do right by them, but it's like, I've always in both my businesses thinking about like the next generation of people and like, what do we need to do now to help get those people and their children and their grandchildren in a good situation. Cause like we come from, you know, people that took calculated risks and we're benefiting from those now, Um, you know, and like, you know, like, likewise, like being, try to, you know, offer a service where like, we're thinking beyond just our nose tip where we're thinking more about like, how is this going to play out in 25 years from now? When I think a lot of people from my generation are just so short-sighted because society's like, oh, it's about money. It's about right, prestige. You gotta make, that, make that dollar, make yeah. it now, make it as fast as you can. Yeah. Right. Like there's, it's, uh, I mean, it's, it's, it's the Instagram problem, right? It's yeah. sure. instant gratification yeah. where it's like, Oh, like I I read something where it was like millennials basically like, I don't know what, I forget what group you may have. Are you millennial yeah. too? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So we're both kind of on the outskirts, but um, they just want, like they're asking for promotions yeah. when they don't even deserve them. And, yeah. you know, it's just like, what have you even done? Nothing. And literally nothing. And I just find it so fascinating. Like this idea of like the grind and hustle and hard work. Yeah. It's it's almost it's entitlement you know it's entitlement for sure and the long game is so they see the success the short-term success stories that Mm -hmm. are one in a million when there are real people doing hard work good work yeah that in 30 years are going to surpass for sure the short-sighted you know like success stories by chance but they don't have that they, they can't have the vision. Like yeah, I yeah. spoke at Northwestern two weeks ago and I said overnight success looks like getting your teeth kicked in for 20 years that people don't see that, <laughs> that because nobody wants to put that into their Instagram account. Right. It's like somebody yesterday asked me this kid no. um, who's at Dayton was just like, what does your LinkedIn account not tell people I'm like all the losses I've taken which like that's more what I'm interested in because like that's what's important it's like yeah you could put this photo up and that photo up but it's like what about all the L's you've taken you know like I'm playing for 50 I'm playing for 60 almost we're like when I started at 22 at go empire group I was like I'll judge myself in 10 years from now now we're hmm. at the precipice of that and I'm like actually let's play for the next 20 now I'll judge myself at 50 but like I think that's really 
a foundational thing that we were given to by our parents who like our dad would be turning 72 if he was alive. Our mom just turned 70. Um, one of our grandmas would be, a, would just passed away in February. She was 103. Wow. Like we've always been around old school minded people. And it was like, there's nothing instant. There's no instant potatoes. Yeah. <laughs> you, know, like, you know what I mean? Like there's nothing instant, but instant potatoes. And like, you know, it's like, it takes time to cultivate these things, but like, that's not something that's documentable. Like there's not something that I can track and I can watch. And mm -hmm. like, you know, there's a lot of comforts going in one direction, but like to know, like there's no end destination, especially like you guys have like a business and it's not like there's an end point. It's not like an end point at the end of your Google map that's gonna say like you've arrived. It's like just the process. And I think so much of that is lost. Like yeah, all yeah. the stuff that happens on the process of like working with your clients or like doing your business. Like people don't like to talk about that. But I think when you are in like a setting where you guys are talking about business and you know, it doesn't matter what kind of business you're in or if you're an entrepreneur, but like talking about all the losses because I think when you get a bunch of people in the same room talking about you know, where they wish they, you know what, I wish they should have known that this was like the quitting point mm -hmm. and to stop. And then everybody kind of being empowered to be like, you know what, actually, this is where I screwed up or this is where I totally failed epically. Yeah. But there's so much growth that happens for that. And whenever you're like, nobody even wants to talk about that in their own personal lives. Like when you do talk about that, you're just like, wow, like I processed it. I figured that out. And then you're kind of full steam ahead at getting back to what it is yeah. that makes you feel purposeful in your life's work. Yeah, yeah. absolutely. The losses are so amazing. Yeah. I, the, I want people to be able to lose more. Like the losses are the fruit of life. Like there's a hmm. guy, we just closed on his property. He sold something and Logan moved to Bucktown. The first time he bought that place that I just sold, he didn't use me. He used somebody else. And I was like, I'll see you later. He hit me up on St. Patrick's Day this year. I was like, hey, we're selling this place. We're going to buy another place. Like you told me to hit you up. Like I kept you because we really didn't like our experience the first time. Because it's like you might not want to hear what I have to say, but it's going to be the truth. And then hmm. that just, we get that from our parents, you know? So it's like, okay, I'll see you the next time around. Or like, there was a guy that just signed with our sports agent, like who didn't want to, you know, hear the honest to God, brutal truth of how things were. And now he's with us and he's like, you guys didn't lie to me. So it's like, yeah, their initial losses, but the wins on the back end are so much bigger and more enjoyable where it's like, I didn't need to lie to you. Like, and I liked you. I, I can't <laughs> lie to you. Like, what do I have to win in lying to you? Like, I'm going to give you the honest truth because like in 25 years from now when you want somebody to work with your kid the most prized possession like you're going to be like you need to work with ed and meg whatever yeah. it is because it's like they're not yeah. gonna do anything but like service you to the best of the ability and i really like draw that back to our parents and how they raised us it's awesome can you when you said you know your biggest losses or your biggest fails what came to mind Oh, man, like, I could <laughs> give you a laundry list of them. I think being risk adverse because my parents are risk adverse. I think that I went, you know, like down the traditional path of what like what is a guaranteed comfortable thing career wise, hmm. you know, like graduating from college, like, you know, kind of at the time, like a little bit before the crash, I was like, I didn't really have an idea of where I was going. So I like went into something safe, you know, but then it was like I was like, I should have just taken more risks or be more deliberate, like. I went into like, 
a degree that really didn't like yield in a job. So then I ended up working at a bar in Wrigleyville. Oh my and gosh. I was just like, I was like, how did I get shout here? Shout out Murphy's. You know, shout out Murphy's bleachers. <laughs> but, you know, just like, but not just be like, you know, if you fail, like it's okay. But I think when you, we were raised by people that were so much older than our friends' parents because yeah. they like went through the depression. Yeah. And like, I think now later on in life, I'm like, okay, like I'm going to try something. I'm going to reach out to someone and like try to make a connection. If they say no, that's okay. Mm-hmm. But it was like biggest, my biggest loss is like not taking more risks at, I think at a younger age, mm-hmm. like, you know, like just to be like, okay, like, you know, like I would have never thought about starting a business, but there's so many things that I've done in my life that could have been businesses but I was like that's so non-traditional and like my parents never did that and I never knew anybody who was an entrepreneur so like of course I can't do that yeah but it's like you're kind of your own limiting worst enemy with that regard totally I heard from somebody I went to um, a conference and they were talking about uh, life and the different decades and what they're for and she said you're 20 and I was 20 I must have been like 22 so I was you know fiery and ready to go and just like yes do all the things and figure out your life and figure out what you want to do and um, she said your 20s are for experimenting your 30s are for you know getting settled into something your 40s are for turning it on its head and your 50s are for really living into your best life and, (laughs) and doing your best work and me and my friend looked at each other and we were like Oh crap. Like we <laughs> thought the twenties were the prime of our life. Yeah, right. And this woman's telling me like experiment, like you're not even going to get there till your mid fifties. Right. I'm like, Oh my gosh. Like I thought mid fifties, I thought you were basically dead, you know? Right. Yeah. And it's so not but the case. But she gave you permission. Like she hearing did. that. She, like, oh my gosh. She did. I think nice. about it every day. Like to yep. be like, and then it's like, okay, I have to have that more converse. I have that conversation more often with people yes. because people need to hear it, you know? And just like, you're like, okay, like I'm, I'm okay. Like actually I thought that this is way it was going to be, yes. but it's not. So that's, yeah, it's, it's great. It happened. It didn't happen. That's the most important part. Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. What about for you, Ed? Yeah. I I don't know if they're losses because I look at them as like gifts. Of course. You know, of course. I think that's kind of how I always look at things. But at the time they were like horrific, like the world's going to end, like the sky is falling. I think the first one was when I blew my knee out. Um, mm-hmm. And that just uh, being a very... Like, I mean, I was on crutches for nine months and like do- some doctors told me I'd never walk without a limp. And it was just wow. like when I was 15 years old, like I was just like, what? Like, I, I didn't even know what was going on in, in life, you know, and like I was an Irish dancer and like at the time I did not have the humility that I have now. And I'm, I'm grateful that I have it now. But like a lot of times I had in, like um, like a target on my back and this is funny for our Irish dance friends that are listening in, they will remember this, but there was like these <laughs> things called the void dance forms. It was like, you know, like what people were like talking about people like before, before anything, it was just kind of like celebrity gossip. Yeah, it was like Twitter back in the what? day. For about, Irish dancing? Yeah, yeah. Yeah. And like other oh things. My gosh. And then I remember, <laughs> it was you know, toxic. Yeah. You it shouldn't was have been super on toxic. It. And like parents were talking oh about me and, and then people just being like, he's done. He's never going to come back. Like, thank God. Like he won't be able to beat my son anymore. <gasps> blah, 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 blah. Wow. And I just remember like just being so hurt at that point be like wow people don't like me Mm. but what I've realized is that like not everybody's supposed to like you you know like if you can like yourself 
you're already winning. Like if the people around you like you, then you're you're already set, you know, but like for me at that time to, to hear that stuff, I was like, oh my God, it's so hurtful. And then I just use that as motivation to like come back even harder and, and you know, rehab my knee and, and walk without a limp and all these other things. So, and, and then at that time, I just, that was kind of the pivot to be like, okay, Irish dancing's over. I'm never going to play basketball. Like, what am I going to do with my life? And then that was a kind of turn to sports, you know, representation of like, wanting to be a sports agent which mm-hmm. you know for my friends from Quigley that are listening in like people will be like oh yeah you've been talking about that for like 15 16 years where it's like sometimes I forget that that I was talking about it way back then um, the second one was like leaving law school I was like this is something that I wanted to do my father was an attorney my godfather was an attorney Megan's godfather was an attorney you know being like this is something that I wanted you know that I spent three years of my like good college life wanting to do and then leaving be like wow this is a loss like this is i thought that was i at the time remember like this is the first time in my life i didn't succeed Hmm. and and that like being so visceral like you know going home and like crying in my law school apartment to be like what am i going to do with my life you know but then like falling back on like super supportive people if it was my family megan um you know the professors at Dayton, the late Dennis Green, who's a good friend of mine, lead singer of the band Shanana. Shout out Shanana. Um, you know he was just like, "Oh, you're leaving law school." I was like, "Yeah." He's like, "Great, now you can actually get on your way and like become the mayor of <laughs> Chicago, which you are." You know, so it was I was like, "All right," and then that was the pivot to actually becoming a sports agent. You know, so it was like, you know, I remember my law school classmates calling me like. I'm a, like a month after leaving law school, like, dude, you started the agency. I'm like, yeah, yeah, I did. You know, so it's like in, in those things, it's like I became better. I, I found my path more um, to like who I actually am instead of being like who I wanted to be. Like, I'm not a lawyer. I'm not an Irish dancer. Like, I'm not a basketball player. Like, I'm I'm Eddie, you know, and like being able to, you know, figure that out was a blessing. And then for sure, like for me, like losing our father was like the most tragic thing that could ever happen to me Um, or us, you know, maybe even Megan more so than me because they were much closer uh, than me and my father were, I think. But like, you know, for for people that are listening and for people that aren't listening, like they would know like Mike Rehoviak was like one of the best people that you could ever meet on top of being smart and funny and charismatic and tough as shit too. Like, you know, you did not screw around, but like he supported no matter what. So like at 25 to be essentially on top of the world, graduating from Northwestern CEO of my sports agency, living in Bucktown, like to watch my father essentially die in front of my eyes was like the most, like I said, like horrific thing that I think I could ever had to do. Thank God that Megan was like, Hey, you may want to go and see somebody about what Mm. we're dealing with. You know, where like, that was my pivot to like mental health and, you know, present time awareness to be like, all right, this is what it is. 
like he's dying of pancreatic cancer. There's nothing that can be done about that. Yeah. But like the thing that can be done is to try to become the best person that I can become because that's what he would expect, you know, and like, it, you know, it all accumulated to like his service at St. John Birchman when like, there was like five or six hundred people that like came in and people that I didn't even know, like, you know, just people who were like, your dad did this for me and never charged me legal work or he did that like and then wanting to aspire to be the best version of myself that I could be so it's like you know I tell people and that's that's the other thing like that kid who asked me yesterday from Dayton um, was like oh what what do people not see in your LinkedIn I was like that my dad died when I was 25 and that it totally screwed me up. But like from that, I've been able to grow out of my old childish ways and not because he wanted me to, or my mom wanted me to, or Megan wanted me to, but to become like the patriarch and the leader of our family. Hmm. You know, like my grand, my uncle, who's brilliant, Ed, a junior you know, who's my dad's oldest brother, like he's the oldest Grohoviak, you know, but like I'd say, and no, it's no disrespect to them, but like I'm the lead Grohoviak, like this is all mine. Like I'm the point guard. This is my thing, you know? And it's like, I wish that I didn't have to be put in that situation at such a young age because it was the worst thing that ever happened to me, but it was in the same sense on the other, you know, you know, coin flip like the best thing that happened to me like yeah it's it's horrible that he's not here but like his presence is always around wherever I go I feel his presence right now I feel his presence all the time when we're in the house you know on, on certain things and it's like I've become such a better person because of it, you know, and, and who knows if I would have even done the things that I'm doing now um, but like you know being forced to grow up at such a young age, like was scary. But now I look at it as be like, oh, like, yeah, like Reggie probably played in the NBA because I think that my dad had something to do with it from wherever he is placed at right now, you know? And like, I think a lot of the success that we've had in business and life has been touched on by like him. Like I was always told growing up that like I had a guardian angel named Jimmy Cullen, who was my you know, grandfather, my mom's father, who people say that I'm just like, and now it's like, oh, like I got him looking out for me, my grandpa, Jimmy, my dad's my like angel, my grandma's my angel. And I look at all these things happening. It was like, it, it, it's not out of like, you know, just randomness that like success and all these things have come. It's because these people are also like having a huge impact on like life after death, you know? And like, <laughs> I just admitted to my group therapy session on Monday where it's like, everybody is so scared about getting sick everybody's so sick about dying because they don't know what comes next. You know, no one's ever come back from the dead to be like, this is what happens. But if anything in life, like I'm not scared because whatever comes next is supposed to come, you know, and like you live on even after you're gone, like behind us is just one example of like things continually living on, you know, and it's like there's these beautiful like happenstance things in life that happen. I'm like, oh, that's my dad. Oh, that's my grandmother or whatever it is, you know, and mm -hmm. like inevitably in life, like there's two things that all of us are you know, given it's like, if you're super lucky, 
and you hit on the lottery enough to be born, which you got to hit on the lottery to even be born, then like what you know will happen is death. You have this time in between, which isn't that long to be able to make the best out of life that you can. Whatever happens after happens after. But like if anything, like I'm not scared of that. Like it doesn't worry me. And I think that that's why I've been now able to really take full advantage of like the time that I have because, you know, like I'll never forget walking into, you know, what my mom calls the dying room, which my friends will know is like my old bedroom and like finding my dad there like dead. Like for me, it's like it doesn't matter if it doesn't work out in basketball. Like it doesn't matter if it doesn't work out in real estate or business because I, I know it will. But even if it didn't, like we're blessed. We're beyond lucky to have what we have. Like, you know, we could be in a different country and not be bestowed these like beautiful things that we've had in life. Mm -hmm. So for me, it's like I'm not worried about the outcome of things. It's already decided, you know, where it's like I'm going to sit here and enjoy it as much as I can, because who knows when, you know, you take your last breath. But like that's a beautifulness of life. And that's something that Megan helped. I don't want to like that now turn it over. But like you need to start like talking about how great like the mindfulness thing is like Megan has allowed me to like remain present in the moment instead of being like, oh, I need a plan to, you know, like being in grade school, I want to go to high school. Being in high school, I want to go to Dayton and be a lawyer. I want to be an agent. Always being like, I want to do this. I want to do this. I want to do this. And like, I think that I've always been an entrepreneur no matter what I've done, you know, where Megan's like, why not just be right here? You know, which like those deaths, I think have caused me to just be right here. And then Megan being very, you know, ingrained in mindfulness, present time awareness, being who you are with like the tragedies that you go through and the greatness and the glories, like living those things up right now. I think the mindfulness and mental health aspect of things that we've pivoted to have really allowed me to enjoy like all these great like gifts and blessings that we've been bestowed on. Um, And I don't think that I'd be enjoying it enough without the idea of like mindfulness and present time awareness. So I, I don't know, I like to kick that over to her because um, it's it's really her thing that like she brought me and my mom into. Yeah. Uh, I, w- I wish it's something my dad would have been able to enjoy, but like that's changed my life forever. And like, that's just one of many things that Megan's like, you should try this where I'm like, mm-hmm. oh, forget that. And then I'm like, oh, actually maybe I should. And then when I do, it like changes my life. That's why mm. I like trust her beyond anybody. That's why she's my best friend because like she knows me at a deeper level than I even know myself. Um, And, you know, like the mindfulness is just like the most pronounced version of like, hey, this is something we need to do. Yeah, go for it. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, I... Like, I guess, like, I mean, do you have any questions about it? Like, or how do you think it would help? explain what... So I wrote it down as um, present... Oh. Mindfulness stress based reduction. Yeah, that's like that's the like big what one you that, said. Yeah, people and know of. Yeah, so can you explain what that is? What it actually looks like to be it mindfully present, and how it's affected you personally and and in business. So 
Um, I think I, you know, mindfulness is a secular practice and it is present time awareness. So it's paying attention in a very particular way in the moment and doing that non-judgmentally. And mindfulness-based stress reduction is like a certification program that was kind of developed in the 1970s. They saw people had chronic pain hmm. and they were not responding to medication. And that was kind of developed by John Kabat-Zinn. And really what they found out is that people's relationship to pain could be changed. Like the brain could be, you know, taught strategies for dealing with pain that people were experiencing that's like kind of where that kind of grew out of and then as it like developed as a practice it started getting picked up in different areas of society where now you're seeing it being practiced in schools so like Mm -hmm. mindfulness is a practice where you can you know use like your breath as an anchor like paying attention to your breath and what does it feel like when you're breathing your breath in and noticing just like the breath is something that's always happening mm-hmm. and like most of the times we don't pay attention to it but it, it can be something that helps us and it assists us and I think that especially like I started coming to mindfulness I took a mindfulness certification program through the mindful schools which is based in the San Francisco Bay Area because I saw chronic stress and anxiety happening in the school setting because okay. you know I was working as an educator in right. Chicago public schools and I was like it's just like there's like toxic stress that the kids are experiencing parents are experiencing there's trauma and like you can't change those things that are happening but you can change your relationship towards it so that's like what mindfulness does it's not about being calm or being a certain way it's just being present with whatever it is that is going on and I think that as an entrepreneur and having your own business it's important because like you're going to go and like things are going to change like the kiddos might not be down for doing what you had planned for Mm -hmm. and you know just noticing like, oh, does that give you anxiety? Does that stress you out a little bit? Mm-hmm. You know, noticing that you're feeling these feelings. Because I think a lot of times we just have programmed ourselves to ignore feelings or an- ignore what's going on. And if you just kind of are open and curious in a non-judgmental way, you know, it just enhances your quality relationships with yourself yeah. first and foremost. And then it benefits everybody that you get to interact with. Yeah, absolutely. So how have you... So just so everyone knows, your primary job still is being a school teacher. Yeah, an educator. An educator. And you entered into Groho. When did that happen? Was that pretty quick? No, because Eddie had done real estate by himself for about four or five years. He, you know, I think he's ending his fifth year. And I kind of was like, you know, I think that there's so many things that people assume, which I would just like kind of passively watch things about his real estate business. And just because we are so close, like we live in the same building. He's on Mm -hmm. the second floor. Mm -hmm. I'm the first. I'm like, people aren't being taught these things. People aren't being helped or supported. And like, I think there's a lot of assumed things. And I was like noticing, I'm like, well, like how I would think about problem solving at school. Like if a kid isn't getting something, there's a reason why they're not getting it. So I kind of just... You know, I would bring things to hit. I would like try to piecemeal it. Like, like <laughs> well, think about using this and doing this. Or like, you could do a tutorial to explain this to yes, people. Yes, yes. So then he was just kind of like, wow, like that's really valid. And then he's like, I think that, you know, you as an educator, you could teach people a lot about and you could teach me how to be a better like steward of this knowledge. Like I know the transaction. I know the numbers. 
And I was like, but how can we educate people so that we're here for them always, like beyond them, like buying or selling their house, like over time, like teaching them and educating because there's no, no one really teaches you in school about like, I'm like, I taught middle school math for like a decade. No one ever teaches you about like mortgages and percentages. Like it's <laughs> right. nothing in the high school curriculum, but it's like things that people need to be financially literate of. So mm-hmm. it's like, how can we kind of use best practices with kids at school with grownups, but grownups don't know. But like, they're like, oh, I felt like I really understood everything. And it's like, in my head, I'm like, because I was thinking about all these steps and how to break right. it down in a different way. Because that's what I do with my kindergartners. Yeah. And it's like, you don't tell them that. Yeah. But you're like, it's like, I've never we done it that way. Yeah. But you need Absolutely. it. And like, when you put supports in, then people just feel, they feel powerful and they feel empowered. And they're like, oh, I get it. I understand now. So that's kind of like, you know, my passion is in education and doing mindfulness in schools and teaching kids how to move their body because I do physical education now. Like I myself am injured, so I've been, you know, rehabbing, but just like helping support Ed, like Ed will bring problems and I'm just to the table and I'm like, well, let's think about it in this creative way. So it's really something that we're kind of building out together. Yeah. That's awesome. And so bringing mindfulness into Groho Group, I mean, do you guys literally sit down and meditate together? Do you yeah. can you tell me a little bit about that? We do. Like, cause I, I mean, I think especially cause sometimes there's like difficult situations that arise or like, you know, you're going to have a difficult conversation with a client and like noticing just like, Hey, what is it like when you set up and you give yourself some space before you enter into this conversation with mm-hmm. the person mm-hmm. that you know that they're not upset at you? That they're like that there's like difficult things that are going on the scenes behind this. And you might just be a face to that where like they're maybe putting out their energy. And I think when you take time to do like a seated practice, you know, like we might just sit for like five minutes, like, you know, before we would maybe go into a difficult, you know, conversation with like a client or maybe if it's like really frustrating because we want to be of service and help people. We've been looking at houses and houses and houses like just sitting in the car and just taking a break to like kind of regroup before we go into the next space, you know, because it's about taking time for yourself. Like that's kind of the thing is like people talk about self-care and like, you know, there's a big push about, you know, talking about mental health, you know, in the fall, because these are important things to do, but like you kind of have to practice that yourself. And then your clients and people around you start to notice they're like, there's a difference in you. Like something's changed, something shifted. And it's not necessarily the jobs or like, whatever you're doing it's like the fact that like you're prioritizing yourself so that you can show up better in relationships in business in your work life in your personal life so we do practice like sometimes like we walk away from a problem where we're like okay I'm like why don't we just like do like like a mindfulness like exercise in the garage like we were like typing up some stuff like in between like an appointment park the car (laughs) it's like let's just do like a mindful walking exercise in the grass and like take off our shoes and like what does it feel like to just like really place your foot on the ground and like feel you know the weight transfer from left and to right and what does it feel like to have like the grass underneath your feet and it just kind of takes you out of the compulsive thinking I think that everybody does now but everybody feels kind of self-conscious because you know we're like there's a low grade anxiety because we're on the insta life where like mm-hmm. always accessible where it's like if you just take a moment for yourself away from those things and you de- deconnect from that and reconnect with yourself just like just you're you're a better version of yourself like there's brain science behind it like you're rewiring your neurons well, to be more resilient in those times of difficulty 
Hmm. You know, it's it's not necessarily advisable. I feel like it's funny. Like people come to mindfulness when something's going terribly awry in their life and it's really Hmm. hard to practice. But it's like it's practicing that moments where things are just they are like they're fine that, you know, when you do come up against difficult things, you're more equipped to deal with that. Yeah. You know. Yeah, I think for anybody who's like running a business, you wake up, the first thing you do is you grab your cell phone and you check all your text messages, your emails, whatever, whatever. And like, that's something I do with both my cell phones for both my companies. <laughs> but like, I think the one thing mindfulness that Megan kind of helped, you know, show me the way into was like, when you wake up to not go and pick those things up and not dive right in. Cause it's like, you're literally going from sleeping to like the real world, which is like, boom, you know, instead of like taking it one minute and just goes going and sitting on the floor by yourself or just grounding your feet in the ground and feeling that connection or sitting on a meditation um, cushion and just being present and then going to your phone. Yeah. You know, so for me, like my phones used to be like in the room with me. Um, we're now like they're in the kitchen, which is right off my bedroom where I'm not like going right to it. Yeah. Um, to And, you know, because like as a society, we're so wired into our devices, be it computers or cell phones, where it's like that's just what people do instead of being present with themselves. I think being present with yourself is something that's really difficult for everyone and like apple screwed us up by giving (laughs) us things that like pull us away from really who we are Hmm. you know it's like we're not these phones like all you really have is like the visceral experience of like being in your own skin and having the cognition that you have you know so to not go and rely on those things to just be like i'm right here right now um i think and then really communicating is a huge thing within any business i think one thing i'm about to do is start the mindful communication course of like how to really listen to what not what people are saying but like what they mean by what they're saying Mm -hmm. you know and like Mm -hmm. for me being a better listener is something that's always been challenging to me like people know like i'm a talker you know but like actively listening to what people are saying and and just you know, supporting them in that instead of like, for me, it's like, here's 10,000 solutions where <laughs> yeah. it's like, I don't know, you know, I, like, I like, was like, let me just listen to you and support. I think I was like, when you were saying about it, like when you're asking me about it, I was just thinking now I'm like, how could I do like a mindfulness class or like a mindfulness set for entrepreneurs? Because so much of like doing your own business is like, if you're not working, you're not making money. Yeah. And I think that yep. it's like, how could you offer like, you know, like just like a sit where you could go to a park and do like a mindfulness sit and do maybe a mindfulness of sound where you're just like listening to the sounds of the cityscape. And what is it like? How do you feel when you're listening to those sounds and like, but doing something that nourishes you because as an entrepreneur, you're like always on. And if you're not on, then you feel like, oh, I'm not making money or I'm not doing this or I'm losing out on this opportunity. But I think that like mindfulness is really important. Like, for entrepreneurs too, because you are your own boss and like teaching yourself how to have your cup filled up at the end of the day is important, you know, and it's something everybody can learn. That's the exciting thing about it. Yeah. 
That's yeah. so good. And I, this is one last thing, but like as yeah. an entrepreneur, there's always like an eternal burn. Like it's, you're always having to be on and that can really deplete one's energy, um, life, you know, where it's like, sometimes it's very necessary to turn that off. And if not, like you get burnt out mm-hmm. or you end up like having a heart attack yeah. or you end up like, you know, you know, having a panic attack where then like you can't pull yourself out. And like before you know it, like you can't get back to work, you know, so it's like mm-hmm. refilling up that cup to be able to do what you love as an entrepreneur. But that slow burn, I can see it in my friends who don't even think that they're entrepreneurs and the ones that aren't entrepreneurs and the ones that are entrepreneurs. It's like that slow burn and not being able to turn off your mind, like eats away at you. Um, And I don't even know what type of like, you know, right now we're dealing with a large number of people that are dealing with like brain diseases, be it like Alzheimer's or dementia. Like I inevitably think that that stuff has a huge impact on brain health Hmm. and sustainability of like you know, one's brain. So like, I really think that mindfulness and the the ability to sit with oneself, like will inevitably have a very positive impact on one's like brain where like a lot of our grandparents and parents are going to deal with these, you know, memory diseases, which like are debilitating. And they, I mean, we saw it with our grandmother it takes away. And like, the only thing you have is your body really at the end of the day Megan told me that it's like the only thing you have is like your experience of like being in your own body and like taking care of that proactively I think is something that's really important that I wasn't doing at all and I think a lot of people don't do and it's like you have to be able to put in checks and balances or like you do burn out or you do get sick or you know things go awry and then you can't find yourself back in the the situation that you love if that's being an entrepreneur or working and then and then what do you do and then you're miserable you mm-hmm. know and then people mm-hmm. lose their like um what they think is their value in life and then 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 things get really dark you know instead of just being like let me put things in my life that are going to help me be the best version of myself no matter what that is yeah I, oh my gosh i think that's so key and <laughs> as you're talking, I, I mean, to be honest, where I personally am at in kind of our business journey and personal mm-hmm. journey, it's like I'm I feel so burned out by being a mom yeah. and working at night and feeling like I need to always be on and I'm not taking the time to do that. Well, all <laughs> just, would be is just and then you like beat yourself tonight. up yes. when you're not doing it because yes. it's like you're beating yourself up because you're not doing because you're not doing right and it's this thing where you're just like can I win can I get one win yes yes and so I think yeah I mean even before this when we had our initial conversation I was like oh my gosh I think I really need this just to recenter and and be and be present with my children be present when I'm in business be present with my business like having that time and space even just to recenter and just go okay this is where we're at. It's totally great. It's totally fine. But this is just where we're at. And it's yeah. it's yeah. good. And um, yeah, it, that, that part just really hit home for me. Just going I mean, like, I, I, just, I need that so bad. And I was like, I hope we can, like, you guys can come back and we can do like some mindfulness sits in the yard or whatever. Yes. And like teaching the kids too. Because yeah. like as young as three, like people can learn these skills. And like, I don't know, like it's just so, like it's really rewarding when you hear people like, 
yo, like I looked up mindfulness and I, you know, downloaded an app and it, you know, I just feel a little bit better, you know, and like, you're like, that's just all it's about is like taking care of yourself. Right. We can send you over some mindfulness sits that that you can work on because it all it is. It's like start with one or two minutes, literally a half minute. And then you're like, it it inevitably has a huge effect. And my one friend who's super stubborn, who doesn't really believe in anything, shout out Brian Andrews, (laughs) is like, forget that. Did it one time. We did like a 20 minute sit on my birthday this year at Chill Chicago. Great place for mindfulness and meditation. And he was like, dude, I'll never be the same. And I was like, wait, what you? <laughs> and he, and literally he went back and, and he's like a different person, like, wow. a, like a better person. Yeah. But like, all it takes is just a little bit, you know, and we can share stuff with the audience too, of like, For sure. here's we'll link one a minute yep. that you could better your life. And not even, it's not even about your life. It's like you better your life for all those around you. Yep. Like, I think that I'm a much better person for the people that have to deal with me than I am for myself. Yeah. And that's, that's what life's about. And 100%. the thing is, like, it's nothing special. You know, it doesn't have to be on a cushion. Like, something I say is, like, the mindfulness that you do is, like, the most important is, like, the mindfulness that's, like, not on a cushion. So it's, like, if you're, like, washing the dishes after the kids are, like, down, it's, like, you can just, like, pay attention. What does it feel like? to rub the sponge and feel the suds of the water. Cause it's, there's so much stuff that we do that's automated, you know, that just like putting your hands and, you know, cleaning it. Or like I tell moms, I'm like, they're always so busy. Like, I don't have any time. I'm like, just like, like when you're showering, like washing your hair and actually stopping and feeling what it feels like to wash your hair because you're like, they're like, Whoa, that's like crazy. Cause I, don't even think about washing my hair. Right. It's like you can bring mindfulness to that. And like you notice that it you're like, whoa, that that felt really different, mm-hmm. you know, and then it's just little things that you can do bit by bit like that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think it brings back humanity to yourself. Totally. Like, no, you're not just like like you're 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 really here. I don't know how to say yeah, that. Like but that's even like the whole like concept of like washing your hair sitting there and just be you know it's just yeah. like no or like actually your you're, teeth you're in the morning actually like you're a human actually being physically here and doing in it. this moment yeah and that's important exactly yeah. it's super oh, important yes <laughs> yes i love it um one thing i heard you guys just to kind of pivot a little bit but um one thing i heard you guys talk about was company culture and you guys are the only two in Groho Group. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so some people might think it's crazy. Like you guys are already talking about company culture, but you have big dreams, right? Yeah. You have big vision, which I would love to talk about in a couple minutes. But what what are you guys doing to shape company culture for Groho Group? You know, what what does that even look like for you as two people who already know each other really well, yeah. who are literally family? Like, obviously, your family culture has affected what that is, but. Yeah. Tell us a little bit about that. I think you want, you know, you want to know that someone who's asking you to do things like in a professional setting, a business setting has done those things themselves. Mm. So I think that even though it's just like the two of us, you know, and we're like talking about what would things look like when we grow, it's like we want to do things like and set the tone and be like, hey, we've actually done this. And like, this was what our experience was, you know, and as you bring in and you grow and like perhaps take other agents into Groho Group, be like, this is what we noticed, but we did this five years ago. 
what is this like for you today? Like we did this onboarding where we did this 30 day plan. We did a 60 day plan and we did a 90 day plan. And, you know, like we like there's reflective components of it right. where it's like, you know, there might be like a journal company, like, a, you know, that people are journaling. Like, what was it like to cold call someone and like mm. talk about like how you felt maybe nervous? You felt kind of silly. You felt like, what do I have to offer? Like you we want to be doing those exercises and then having discussions because we're as though we're we're brother and sister, like we're completely different people and learning styles were completely different and personalities were so unique as well that we want, we want to be able to like have workshop through these things so that we're not just blindly asking people who would come on and be a part of Groho group and be agents and, you know, be the outward face of what this company becomes that we would, we wouldn't do it ourselves, you know, right? because it needs to be embodied and authentic and people kind of just, can very quickly determine that it it wasn't that you actually didn't do the things that you're asking of me. Hmm. So like I think that that's important to kind of practice those things where it's like doing things that you know like kind of building into like understanding that like you know like I think that there's a really easy one where it's like your phone book is like your book of business like you have all these friends where you can check in with and like every you know morning making it intentional to spend some time reaching out and reconnecting with people and that's a great thing to do it's a great tool a great strategy to help build out your business where you just don't have to randomly go out and think oh I'm a realtor now what does that mean so it's like I think training is so much like a part of making sure that people come in and they're happy working for you but Mm -hmm. that they're like wow you really supported me and now I'm successful and like, I right. want to do this. Like, so I've, you know, kind of been thinking about like, how do we build in training? And then like, I've tested that out too. And just kind of been like, oh, like that didn't work or this did work. And then just being open to feedback of modifying, you know, things that don't work. Right. You know, and I think that, you know, you have to kind of get in different people's perspectives, people who've had different like places in life. Like we have friends who are like a little bit older shifting career wise and we're like well what would you need to be successful in this and like what are you thinking this is going to look like and like mapping out like a personalized training program for each person because everybody learns differently and you want people to have success so you have to be able to target them where they are it's not like a one size fits all t-shirt or training program that you can do so we've kind of like been spending some time with kind of some of those different like strategies different techniques because we need to be open to feedback and like you want people to work for you like in the future and be like, Hey Megan, like this isn't working. Like you want to have a company culture where like you can tell me something isn't working so I can fix it. You know, you don't want people to feel like, like as a boss, like, you know, what I envision for us is that, you know, we're really working for our employees. Our employees are, are not working for us, mm-hmm. you know, cause we don't want, we want people to stay and we want to grow with them and we want them to feel like, they're not being used and like that this is like that we're as much of their part of their success and coaching them as much of our success, you know, cause our names like at the front of it, you know, but really just building a place where we have a lot of friends that are in the real estate business. Like, but as we grow and we kind of learn in the next couple of years, bringing people on and just like letting them thrive, if they're doing something, they might have something to teach us about like how we can scale that and help other younger agents come on or like you know diverse faces in it too like you know like it's like people don't like talking about this all the time but like it is sometimes you're like I'm like why is it just such a like there just seems to be so many just certain types of people as realtors and like 
how can you open up to different groups and be diverse? You know, like right. a lot of that is important to me, just like because that was a part of like who I was and my education and culturation in the city. Like mm-hmm. I want to bring that into this and well. And like that's something that Ed and I have talked about, too, just like diverse perspectives, like linguistically being diverse, like just reflecting what the world looks like, not just a small percentage of what the world looks like. Totally. Yeah. I think when we talk about culture, I just think like authentic and real, you know, I, I really just in my life, I want people to like get me for who I am, which is somebody who like wants to help others. So just like being authentic and real to what I would have wanted, which was like for somebody to like prop me up and let me become better than them. Yeah. Cause that's like, the point. Like you, yep. it's like a teacher thing. Like eventually yeah. you don't need me, but I'm just here as a support and yep. like a mentor or like a, someone to a thought partner to bounce ideas off yeah. of like, and really rewarding people at every step of the way and like praising people because like, that's a part of it. Like when you're accomplishing great things, like it's important to celebrate that. Totally. You know, and like, asking people what how would you like someone to show up for you like in a Mm -hmm. professional setting in a workspace like what would that have looked like for you and that looks very different for a lot of different people so like the more you ask those questions be like I don't really know but I want to get to know and just really just take notes and listen like that's when the really great stuff happens because then you can build something that's accessible to many rather than just a few and that's like what I want it to be you know yeah yeah 100 yeah, percent. but yeah really like building an empire of people who are empowered to be the best versions of themselves like yeah they're going to be realtors or in my other business yeah they're going to be sports agents but like to be the best version of themselves where they can provide for their family and <laughs> make a really good salary to put their kids through school and and you know go on great trips or whatever it is but to empower people to like really utilize their own personal skills to leverage those and to be great, you know, cause like, I don't want to be the best at it. I just want to be able to like make the best people at it almost. Sure. I, I don't think that I'm going to be the best realtor, the best agent, sports agent. But if I can like bring on a bunch of people and they can be better than me at it, I'd be a hundred percent satisfied um because i've already been able to accomplish the things that i think i want to accomplish so it's like just giving other people opportunities is something that's really important and being inclusive like i would like there to be more hispanic american african american asian american realtors and sports agents like i think both of the industries that i'm in are no offense to the people out in in the world but too white too old and too male dominated Hmm. Like I've been raised by mainly women. I have a very feminine like sales energy where it's more about education than selling. And a lot of my friends aren't white males. So it's like being able to offer those people opportunities that they wouldn't have if not for our company. Like that's what I want to do. That's like awesome. I want to have a group of people who don't look like me being way better at it than I could ever be. Yeah. And like just creating opportunities for other people to see themselves in spaces. Like, I didn't know I could be a realtor. I didn't know I could sell houses. Like, because, or like being agent or whatever. Like, you need to see people like you in these spaces just like to see that you could thrive too, that you could be a leader in the field as well. 
Yeah. So you guys have big dreams, right? <laughs> you're, I mean, you're setting your sights on the horizon and there's no looking back. What does that look like in today's time? Like right now, what does that mean? Are you guys like goal setters? Or are you going like, hey, and you know, by the time I'm 40 this, by the time, I mean, it sounds like no, but mm-hmm. are you just like, let's take the next step. It will come. What, how does... We're like the opposite. It's like Ed's like the forest and I'm like the tree like he focuses on the big big picture and I focus on like the nuanced little things that need to get us to the big picture and that's why this I think really works because he's like he's like well I want to onboard I want to get people in here I want it to be diverse like I want it you know to be representative of like different populations I'm like well this is how you do it because this is how they've done it in education and this is like tried and true tested like research based like 30 years behind it like yeah that's how you make it so it's like more of like he has like really great big ideas and I'm like okay let's put that into practice you know like so you know it's like I'm at school when I'm you know teaching him there from nine to four but like my teacher brain kind of never shuts off and I'm always like well problem solving like how can we work on that this weekend let's workshop this out let's make this happen but it's just like you know just kind of coming up with like the how you get there like he's like this is where I want to go and I say, like, this is how we, like, need to get there. And I'm like, and he's like, oh, okay, I didn't really think about that. And I'm like, let's go workshop it. Let's try to see how right. it works. If it doesn't work, let's scrap it and try something different. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah, I just have, like, amazing company culture and empower people and let them live their best lives. Like, I don't really know what's going to happen in the future, but whatever it's going to be, it's going to be great. Like we really don't, I know it probably sounds pompous, but like we don't do anything that's average. Like everything we've always done in our life has been like grandiose and amazing (laughs) and inspirational to our friends, I think, and stuff. So I think whatever it's going to be, it's going to be a success. It's going to be big. It's going to be fun. It's going to be enjoyable. And whatever it is, like I want to leave an impact on those that I come into contact with no matter what. I think that's the most important thing for me is to like impact those people that I come into um, connection with and to be able to better their lives and vice versa, let them better my life. All right. Well, we have our, our young aspiring interviewer yes, here. Here he is. And he's going to ask you the final question. Jack, can you ask them, uh, what's your one piece of advice? Can you say that? Um, you got to say it in the mic. Um, What's your one piece of advice? Okay. Can you say it? Can you say that? One piece of advice. Okay. That is like a big question. (laughs) One piece of advice for the people out there who want to start something new, but who are also feeling responsible for another person. Be deliberate. You know, don't don't spend too much time in your head talking yourself out of things because it's super easy to do. You know, you try something, you go for it. You know, if it's something that you love, it's going to come out in your work. Mm -hmm. And if it, if you fail at it, you'll tweak it. And you're like, you're still going to have your bed to go to at the end of the night. You'll wake up in the morning and you're going to get after the day again. So just like, just be deliberate and don't talk yourself out and don't spend too much time in your head or perhaps maybe too much time with people around you because if you're doing something different, 
Like that's usually kind of comes up with people being like, are you sure about that? So just be deliberate and you know the people where your thought partners are going to inspire you to build you up. Be like, hey, I think I'm going to take the jump and just go for it, you know, because the world's not going to end, you know, it's, it's going to be, it's going to be all, everything's going to be there just as it is. Totally. One piece of advice. It's always hard for me to just give one thing. Um, Whatever you're thinking, think bigger. Like Mm. whatever the idea is, like scale it, think bigger, like don't be put into a box because of what your parents want you to do or society wants you to do or your teachers want you to do. Like you have one opportunity at this. That's life. Like you best live it to the fullest of experiences and like really enjoy the time that you have. So like whatever you're doing, think bigger and don't care what anyone thinks about you. That's the biggest thing is like to not care about what everybody's going to say that would bring you down and cut you down. Like just scale up, think bigger, don't care what anybody thinks about you and be kind. Hmm. Yeah, that's it's really important, especially because you're just like I was just thinking about you saying like people have kids that are thinking about doing business. Like it's so important for your children to see you take risks. Like I know that as an educator, and like that's going to be the most empowering thing to them. Like it doesn't matter if the business is like there when they're graduating from high school. Like they're going to see that you are raising a family, you are trying something new, you are happy, and you are creating. And like that's important for anybody who's taking care of little people to know like that that's going to help your kiddos too. So I think that that's really key. It's awesome. And I think a lot of it is like, because I saw this with my dad, it's like, you're almost not appreciated till you're gone, unfortunately. Like that's a really sad part of life. Like I appreciate my dad so much more now seeing what he's done like early on in my career when I didn't even know what my name was. So you're doing these things now, but like the impact will be felt long after you're gone. And like to be able to leave an impact is something I think everybody wants, you know, to not be so worried about like, oh, how are how is it right now? Because anything good takes so long to build. You know, we're like inevitably, even when someone dies, their impact is felt way longer. So it's like just to do what's going to make you happy because after that, like your spouse will be you fulfilled. Your children will love you for that, even if you judge yourself on it when you're doing it, you know, and to always just be like doing it for others, just not yourself. Yeah. Awesome. Well, thank you so much, guys. For do you sure. want to tell them thank you? Thank you. Thank you. Thank you for barring us your family for a little bit. We had so much fun. <laughs> yes. Awesome. Well, you guys, you can find them on Instagram. Instagram? Are you guys on Instagram? Yeah. Okay, yeah. you're on Instagram. Instagram, Facebook, um, and I will link all the awesome things they said about mindfulness on the awesome. um, the show notes. So uh, definitely look into that. Um, but thank you so much for having us. Thanks this so was much so for great. having us. It was wonderful. Thank, thank you. for having us here oh you're welcome you're always welcome to come back I'm and so hang out in the yard hanging out too <laughs> perfect thank you bye guys hey if you liked this or any of our other episodes jump on your phone or your computer right now and let somebody know we'd love if you tag us on social media and leave us a review on itunes so thanks for tuning in and we'll see you next week <laughs>